I hate to plant this in your head right when you're still in the throes of excitement about this huge order, but make sure you recognize the unbelievable risk of having 90% of your company's sales, if not 95% of your customer sales coming from a single customer. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Netflix, which I co-founded, it was actually my fifth startup. And since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early stage companies and talk to thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own businesses, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to take things to the next level. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then try to nudge them a little further down the path toward realizing their dreams. If you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. So when I last touched base with Katie, she was still in college, but graduating early to focus on her product, Socket Locket, something that, to be honest, I didn't quite grasp the potential for. But what a difference a year makes. Now, with a patent in hand and Walmart stepping up with a huge order, Katie's trying to navigate the next steps for her two-person business. Especially interesting, considering this other person is her mom. So, Katie, (laughs) great to see you again. I'm really excited to finally catch up on what's going on. We've kind of exchanged a bunch of emails back and forth over the years, but I don't think we had a chance to talk face-to-face in a while now. Zoom to Zoom. (laughs) I know, it's crazy. I know some of the things you're working on, but for the benefit of everybody else, I'd love for you to give us what by now is probably your quite well-rehearsed elevator pitch of what it is you are working on. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And it's good to see you again. It's been a while, but here we are this time on Zoom. Yes. My name is Katie Galhausen and I am the inventor and founder of Socket Locket, which is a patented phone accessory. Socket Locket is an adhesive card holder for the back of the cell phone that allows you both the convenience of having a wallet while also having the functionality of your phone grip all in the same place. Pre-COVID, we were selling a lot of socket lockets via e-commerce, some smaller brick and mortar stores, and largely in the promotional industry. Obviously, the spring hit and COVID hit, and we had to definitely pivot how we were selling. Obviously, there were no promotional events going on or large company events, anything like that. So that went down to next to none even though that was our largest source of revenue. Now we're getting into big box retailers. So that's what we're kind of getting into now. I know what you're talking about, but since it's a really kind of hard thing for someone to picture, let's at least try and give someone an idea what this thing actually is. So first of all, I guess most people are familiar with those little stick-on devices that go onto the back of an iPhone case or a part of a cell phone case that you can put one or two credit cards in. But there's lots of people who sell those. Yours is different. Why? Help me understand, help everyone else understand why this is a different way to have stuff that's stuck onto the back of your phone with cards in it. Yes. So the biggest reason why we are different than all the other cardholders out there is that we actually have dual capabilities. So not only do we hold your 
cards, we also hold your phone grips. Phone grips meaning the things that prop up and you can hold your phone better or prop up your phone on your desk. If I remember, it's a little device that pops out of the back of the card holder that kind of fits between two of your fingers so you can hold it in your hand just by pinching your fingers together. Or is there anything else? That's, that's it, right? Yes, exactly. You're right on the money. So basically, my freshman year of college, I was noticing that all my friends and classmates had either a card holder on the back of their phone or a phone grip. And I was never seeing anyone who had both. And I was constantly questioning why no one was simultaneously using these two extremely popular accessories together. So I did what any Gen Zer would do. And I went online to try and research if there was something that could combine both the products. And to my surprise, there was nothing out there on the market that could allow you to have both your card holder and your phone grip all in the same place all at once. So that's basically when Socket Locket was born. So there's one more piece. These are two items that existed before, but you talk about the phone grip. There's one, it's, is it, what is it called? A poppet or is it a, a socket? Pop sockets. What's it called? Yeah. Pop sockets is the largest phone grip. So there's a thing called a pop socket already, which basically pops out, goes between your fingers to hold your phone. Or I guess you can slide into other devices, other places. Or a card holder and you just combined the two. Exactly. So I have the phone grip holder that allows you to combine your pop socket essentially. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> and you've been working on this for quite some time. What year were you in school when you had that realization that there wasn't one that did both of these things? It was my second semester of my freshman year. So it was right after I came back from winter break and I just kind of was noticing around. I had one particular friend who she had exchanged her card holder for a pop socket that she had gotten for Christmas. She was super excited about it. And we still have to bring our student ID, our credit card everywhere. She decided to just stick all of her necessities in her pocket instead and went about her day and she misplaced her cards. And that was kind of the first big realization of why didn't you just combine both of them? She said, because you can't. I've tried, it was super glue and it just falls off. <laughs> that was my big first aha moment of what the heck, these are two extremely popular items. Why are people not using them together? There needs to be something out there. And when did your first prototype or when did you sell the first one? Or that was not long afterwards, right? Yes. So I hit the ground running immediately. So, you know, my entrepreneurship professors, I took my very first sketch to my entrepreneurship professors. I actually just took the idea at first and they said, go back to your dorm room and sketch up what you're talking about because we can't visualize what you're saying at all. So I went back to my room, did my first sketch, brought it back to them and said, this is what I'm envisioning Soccer Locket to be. Didn't have the name at the time, but this is what I envisioned Soccer Locket to be. And that's when I really started to get the ball rolling. There was a local engineering called The Forge in Greensboro where I got all my prototypes made. And that probably happened a month or two after my initial idea for Socket Locket. And you've been now working on this for what, five years, six years? No, nope, I've been working on it for two and a half years. Oh, I thought you had already graduated. No. Nope. <laughs> oh my god. I just graduated this past spring. Yeah, I actually graduated a year early to come run Socket Locket full time. Well, there you go. An even more overnight business. So what I'm marveling at is that 
PopSocket or wh whoever they are didn't just do the same thing that you're doing? Was there a patent or are you just amazed as I am that they haven't immediately rushed in to copy you? I do have a patent, yes. I have a utility patent on my product. So I am grateful for that and that everything was smooth sailing on the patent side and we didn't get held up or anything on that end. But yes, PopSockets actually created their version of a phone grip and wallet in one about a month or two after I actually launched my product onto the market. But there's a still a ton of differentiations between us two. And my intention the entire time of creating Socket Locket was always to be complementary toward PopSocket. I never want to compete with PopSocket because we our two products still are so different that it's not really like we're real competitors. My product still just complements what they already have. So I know that there was some interesting news just a month or so ago or less. Tell me where you were in terms of velocity coming into the end of last year. I mean, how many of these were you selling? Was it continuous? Was it big? Was it small? Yes. So up until, I guess, February of 2020, <laughs> I guess, right before COVID, uh, we had sold about $150,000 worth of sales or about 30,000 units to date. We were gaining a lot of momentum, a lot of traction. I went to two huge promotional conventions that we were getting a lot of traction from distributors there who were asking for quotes of 10, 20, 50,000 units per order. So we were really excited to say the least. And that's when I kind of was making the decision to graduate early because there was going to be some awesome momentum coming with uh, everything in the promotional industry. And then unfortunately, March hit. And COVID had a different plan for my business as it did for a lot of small businesses. And from March to about August, it was dead in the promotional industry. My main focus before that point really wasn't e-commerce. I always had a present on e-commerce, but that was never where we were making our largest portion of revenue. So from March to August or so, we really only had about six to $10,000 worth of revenue, which is crazy. Then on August 28th, I got a random email from Walmart that said, you've been invited to Walmart's 2020 open call. You're pitching your product, Socket Locket, to Walmart buyers on October 1st. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is... I had forgotten I even did the application for it at this point. <laughs> It was so random and out of the blue. So I was like super excited. It was gearing all up. I had the pleasure of pitching Socket Locket on October 1st. And they said yes to Socket Locket being in their stores, which has been incredible. And so when they got back to you and said, we'd like to carry it in the stores, was there negotiation involved? Or is it basically like, here's what it is, take it or leave it. And you're going, I'll take it. Or how did that work? Yes. So... It was crazy because leading up to that point, I mean, largest retailer in the world, I'm just a little small blimp on the map at this point. And so I'm having a lot of conversations preparing for this pitch. I'm talking to people who have been both on the buying and selling side to Walmart, just trying to get an idea of what they're looking for, how this process is going to work. Are they going to tell me yes or no on the spot? Like, I'm just trying to gauge some sort of idea because I've never done this to any big retailer. And the same thing that I kept getting over and over from people was they're probably not going to tell you yes or no on the spot. 
they're probably going to trial run you with about 100 stores max. And you're probably not going to be in their stores for six to 10 months out if they do say yes. So that's what my mentality was going. I was like, best case scenario, this is what it's going to be. And I get in there and I don't know if you know this, but this is actually a family company. So both me and my mom run this business. But me and my mom were in there pitching and they cut us off about three fourths of the way through. And they were like, Katie, you don't need to keep going. It is a yes from Walmart. We love your product and we want you in all of our stores by April. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so all of that just went out the window of what everyone was preparing me for. So I pretty much just blacked out for the next two minutes because I was so excited. (laughs) I didn't hear anything, (laughs) but I was so excited. And yeah, that's kind of just when we started talking about how they were going to market the product and just different pricing and things like that. So there were some negotiation on it, but I think that it was a healthy negotiation because it was awesome because they wanted me just as much as I wanted them, which was great. Is it going to be exclusive or are you still going to be able to do your 30 and 50,000 unit orders when the world recovers? They have talked about different exclusive options and bundles, but at this point, it's not an exclusive product in Walmart. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what it becomes, but yes. Wow. So this is an amazing story. So from a crazy uh, dorm room idea Mm -hmm. to the depths of despair during COVID and saying, why on earth did I drop out of school for this? Not drop out of school. Why did I finish school early for this? And then all of a sudden saved from the jaws of defeat by Walmart or so it seems we need to tune in in April and see what actually happens. But what can I help you with? So the biggest thing is from August today, my sales were $150,000 total. And then Walmart is essentially going to be putting a purchase in that's seven digits. So to say that I needed to scale quickly is an understatement. We had to scale extremely fast. And I think had we had the capabilities of even producing even more than what we can at this point, even though we are going to be producing a lot, I think they would have wanted even more products. So I think for down the road, we're going to have to continue to scale at a steady rate and not just be complacent on what our current capacity is. So my greatest question is, how do I continue to scale my business and get ahead of the curve on cash flow issues so I'm not just constantly in a cycle of needing more capital? So obviously this is a really awesome problem to have. (laughs) Like, how do I finance my huge Walmart order? But just to make sure I understand the problem correctly, is it basically being able to finance the manufacturing for the products that Walmart wants, but they want more than you believe you can realistically produce in the short term. So you need to be able to be prepared for even more volume in the future. Is that kind of it? Yeah. So right now we are able to give them what they currently asked for but if they want us to continue to grow we'll have to buy additional molds and hire more people and all those things that's just the component of just walmart not even factoring in any other customers at all tell me briefly so i can answer this more intelligently how are you manufacturing them now or where are you manufacturing it what does that look like yeah actually ironically we are manufacturing about 20 minutes away from my home here about 45 minutes north of Indianapolis. So very locally, but they're very price competitive. We've done our research with other sourcing. So 
we're happy and soulful. Oh, I was scared about this. You're going to drag me into expressing opinions about things that I don't know anything <laughs> about. But that hasn't stopped me before. So let's try and, uh, and wait in. One more question. Is being manufactured in the United States a requirement? Is that one of the product aspects that attracted Walmart to you? Yes. Do they care? So the 2020 open call was only for products that were manufactured and produced in the United States. So obviously, if I hadn't been a US-made product, I would have not had that opportunity. So I do need to, I think, stay in the US. You have to manufacture it in the United States. I don't know if that's a requirement of Walmart, but at this point, we've done great here in the US, so I don't think so. <laughs> okay, so... Let's go off on a slight tangent. There's two pieces to this, and we will get to the financing piece of it. And by the way, this is a great problem to have. So congratulations. Thank you. Really congratulations. Very exciting. But there's probably three things to talk about. I'm going to try and remember. I'm going to make a little note to myself to remember them all. Okay. First of all, I can almost feel the hate emails coming in right now about me proposing for something not necessarily being manufactured in the United States. Mm-hmm. But there's two phases in the life of a product, especially a hardware product like yours. There's the product market fit phase where basically you're constantly tweaking. You're saying, is this the right product? Oh, it breaks. I've got to strengthen this. Oh, it doesn't fit in the right pockets. I've got to make this smaller or stronger or larger. And you're playing with it and you're giving it out to customers and you're getting feedback. And those iterations want to take place really, really quickly. I mean, you want that turnaround really fast. And that is not the point where your marginal cost really makes that much of a difference. The numbers are small enough that who cares? And then the advantage of having everything being done 20 miles from your house is huge because they can be go, listen, we're just finishing up this mold, Katie, and we have a question. Can you get down? There's two possible ways to do it. And then 20 minutes later, you have the answer. And you don't care the fact that it's more expensive because it's U.S. labor or more expensive because it's not done at scale. Who cares? It's rapid prototyping. So fantastic. But you're moving into a different phase. And what I have found international manufacturing has is not necessarily cost. And it's not necessarily quality. It's rapid scale. That's a significant difference. And again, with that caveat that I'm speaking about things I don't fully understand, because I've never worked in a business which had to manufacture plastic gadgets at the scale that you're talking about. But I've been in some other industries that have gone through this exact same problem. Mm -hmm. And what you find is they'll have a hit. They're making something, manufacturing it in the United States. And they'll have a hit. And they'll go, we need 10 times what we're currently doing. And maybe even 50 times what we're currently doing. And the manufacturer goes, well, I have two more machines that are doing what you need. So I could triple production. But then they move to, in this case, they, you know, the Vietnam or China or other locations, other places in the world. And they go, oh, you need 100x? No problem. We can have it on 200 new machines in two days. Yeah. In other words, the scale is so dramatic. So I don't know whether that applies here. But I do know for someone like yourself who's going to need to go up and down really, really quickly and where you're trying to ride a, can I say trend? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. 
you're trying to ride a trend. And basically, if you have total demand for three or four million of these things, you don't want to have that be 300,000 for 10 years. Exactly. You want to take advantage of it while you can. And that's going to require having some place that's not necessarily just price competitive, but can be volume competitive too. It's certainly something worth pushing on or probing. You can't look a gift horse in the mouth here, but probing Walmart on whether... You are a U.S. business, and you can even do the Apple version of designed you know, in the United States. But if you had the capacity to explore international manufacturing, it would give you probably a price advantage, but that isn't the key thing. It's rapid scaling up and down. Yeah, I've never thought about it that way. You have four or five different SKUs in Walmart, and they come back and go, SKU number four is flying. I need 600,000 of them in three weeks. The U.S. manufacturer can't do that. A international manufacturer probably can. That's one thing. The second thing is to the degree that you think that manufactured made in the USA is important. In other words, I don't know whether that appears on your packaging or appears on the product or whether you believe that's part of your brand. I would challenge you to test your assumptions. Mm-hmm. Because I have seen firsthand companies, they go, no, our company is a made in the USA brand. Uh, we can't change that. Our customers will kill us. And had to drag people kicking and screaming to go, let's just try it. Let's just do one line. Let's just see what happens when it bears a made in Vietnam label. Doesn't make a difference. And then you gain all the other advantages you have of people with a scale, pricing, experience, mold making. A lot of the things that the U.S. is just not as competitive in manufacturing. Please, no hate email. <laughs> I will give you hate email. <laughs> the last thing, and I'll finally get to the thing you actually wanted to talk about, which was some of the financing things, is now... I hate to plant this in your head right when you're still in the throes of excitement about this huge order, but make sure you recognize the unbelievable risk of having 90% of your company's sales, if not 95% of your customer sales coming from a single customer. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's run through my head. Don't worry. But at this point, at this stage, I have to focus my efforts on fulfilling this and then see what the future holds and plan for the future. Of course. And I'm not saying don't do it for that reason. Yes. I'm just saying that what people will normally tell you or what you might normally think are important have to always get put through the filter of what happens. For example, I did not talk about cost as a factor. Flexibility should be your factor. Non-fixed cost assets should be what you focus on. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you say, I need to hire 20 people, ugh, pay 50% more if you have the ability to turn a switch and have it all go away. Don't go, oh, we're going to lease. If you're going to lease a warehouse to do your final prep, or your final manufacturing, or your final finish, or whatever you're going to do, for God's sake, make sure it's in your lease that you can get out on 30 days notice or 15 days notice. Pay more for flexibility just so you don't get yourself locked in because of the impact that a single customer can have if they jerk you around. It's definitely something that you have to think about when you're playing with the largest player in the entire industry. I mean, the risk reward is just tremendous. I imagine economically, you've already done a lot of research into this, but I, I'm guessing this for everyone else's sake, what strikes me, there's probably two different things going on simultaneously here. So one is, of course, your product cost. And I'm pretty sure that you can take out debt to cover that. Have you already explored that? Yes. In order to finance, we're doing an SBA loan for 
financing. Wow. But is that based on the order or is that just a standard SBA loan? Yes. So that was contingent upon that Walmart placed the order. I would also imagine that Walmart probably has a lot of lenders that they work with. Yes, they do who they can point you to as someone who can basically advance you the money, knowing that Walmart most likely is good for it. Yes. So is the issue then raising money to cover your other operating expenses? Yes, factoring and lenders, those were all an option when we were thinking about how to actually finance this. The problem is, is that their rate for borrowing is much higher than an SBA loan or something of that sort. So that's when we decided to not go with the lenders, even though there's tons of them in Benville itself. But yeah, our problem is just, I guess, because of the longer terms that Walmart requires is just being able to ensure that we can pay up all of our suppliers. And then if another purchase order comes in, not having two orders outstanding to all of our suppliers, if that makes sense. In other words, you're comfortable, you can borrow the money to fulfill the Walmart order, but trying to say, how do I make sure I have adequate money to manufacture to fulfill other orders? Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, even if other orders or even another order from Walmart, just making sure that I'm not in the cycle of being out money and then another order comes in and still not having the money until I do, I guess. Why would you be out money? Do you have to advance money of your own to start the manufacturing process? Or is this to do things like molds and pre-manufacturing expenses? Yes, some things are the expansion of that we're going to have to buy additional molds. And once we start expanding, there's just no way that me and just my mom are going to be able to do this by ourselves. We'll have to hire at least one or two more people. So our suppliers are not on the same terms as what Walmart's terms are for us. So that's where the issue kind of is. I understand. So our suppliers terms might be 60 days, but Walmart's terms are 90 days or whatever when they get it in their warehouse. Yeah. And you have to make the molds now and pay the people to make the molds now, for example, but the clock isn't going to start ticking on the 90 days for another 90 days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get get So in other words, you can actually factor the product shipment, the product piece of it. It's all the operational overhead. Yes. What are you considering? Are you considering raising equity? Are you considering borrowing money from other sources? Is that what the SBA loan is going to be for? Yes. The SBA loan is to be able to cover expenses and being able to pay our suppliers for this first upcoming order. But every single time that you want to increase that line, you can't just increase it. You have to reapply for an increase in capital from the SBA loan. So if I wanted to increase to another 100000 I'll have to go through the process again of applying for the SBA loan, which isn't a problem, but obviously not as good as just having operating capital in the business. Yeah, I think we're going to try to stay away from raising capital for equity. I think that we'll try and have non-dilutive capital if possible. That would be ideal. (laughs) I don't know if you could speak around that at all. No, I think they're both going to be difficult. Again, let me pause for a second to think. The problem with dilutive equity is not necessarily dilution part. It's the fact that you have a fundamental decision about whether this is a long-term 
company versus a short burst company. And I know you and I have talked about that specific yeah. question before when I spoke with you a few years ago. Because if you raise money via equity, it requires that there be some exit or some long-term dividend, there's some way to pay back someone who owns exactly. a percentage of your company. And that just puts a huge amount of pressure on you to have the next product behind this or to ride this product into the foreseeable future, which would be a little scary if I was you. That actually brings me to another question because you brought that up is at what point do you say that it's time to start looking and actually start developing new ideas and new product lines versus just putting your nose to the grindstone and making sure that you successfully bring this one to market and just focusing on what you're currently doing and doing that successfully and being able to differentiate between when you should start exploring new developments. I think you have to be looking at what's next. Or put it a different way, you have to make that decision about what you want to do here because you are at a crossroads. Because one crossroad is I'm just going to ride the roller coaster here, which is I'm going to ride out the Walmart order. I'm going to ride out same product, different channels. But my company is going to be about this product. And I know it's going to have a half-life. And I know it's going to gradually diminish at some point. And I'm fine with that, provided I've built the company to be fine with that. Which means there is no long-term commitments that you're freaked out about, that there's no overhead that requires a constant, or even worse, constant and growing stream of revenue. That's one model. And that would be a perfectly acceptable model for someone like yourself. You go, great, I had a huge hit. I learned an unbelievable amount. It faded, began to diminish, I sold it, and I'm on to my next one. Great. Or you go, no, I think this is a business. I think where this idea came from, I've learned so much about how to develop promotional products, about how to sell promotional products into promotional channels, about et cetera, et cetera, that I think I'm gonna become a promotional products company. Or I'm not sure what that or is, but something like that. Because that does open this up to being a real long-term sustainable product, a company which does lend itself to more equity financing. Yeah. But if you choose the equity financing, you're committing yourself to a longer term commitment to sustaining some level of business on into the future. And I think anybody you're pitching it to, other than friends and family, is going to have a hard time seeing a there there unless you can give them confidence this is more than just a one hit wonder company. Yeah. So you think that more so than the me focusing on whether I should be focused on this current product or more developments, my decision should be more of what do I see this company as? I think you have to decide what do I see this company as? Because all these decisions you're making are different decisions based on whether this is, I'm going to ride, people are listening, can't see it. I'm just describing an arc like a roller coaster. It's going up, 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 and then it's going to go down, and down, down. Maybe not. Maybe I'm totally misjudging the worldwide appetite for phone case holders that also hold credit cards. I just 
can't believe how long-term sustainable that is. I'm not the one who has to be convinced. You're the one who has to be convinced mm -hmm. because if you recognize in advance, it's going to go up for another 18 months and then it's going to start diminishing down or it could go off the cliff down once Walmart says we're on to the next bright, shiny object. As long as you're prepared for that, as long as you don't have long-term commitments, as long as you've recognized all along that when it stops, I'm ready for it to stop because I've been building in my systems for it to stop. Then that's a fantastic home run. But you could also say, oh my gosh, this is the start. With the revenue and the income and the profit that I can make from the Walmart order and from growing this out, I'm going to plow that back into development of manufacturing, of product development, of research, of initial sales, of building up revenue lines around other products. That's a different choice. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a different choice because then you begin saying, maybe it is worth me having the investment in having three employees and having a larger office with a five-year lease because I really envision us coming out with a huge line of products. I'm just picking a, a, an easy to understand fixed cost or semi-fixed cost decision. You may not choose to do those things if you go, no, I'm just writing the Walmart order so everything is variable so that when they say we're done, you go, great, I'm done too. Or you go, no, I'm not done. That's fine. I'm ready for this. Now I have three or four other products in development, which are now going to pick up where this product left off. And that will drive your decision about your financing. It'll drive your decision about your manufacturing. It'll drive your decision about whether you hire people and who you hire and how many and how many of them are contractors versus employees and whether you get a 10,000 square foot space or whether you stay in a co-working space. In a simple model, it's whether you take on fixed cost or whether you pay slightly more in order to have the flexibility. And that's going to come from you having your little two-person offsite or we take your company out of the kitchen and you go back to the den and say, what is the future of this company? Do I have any more products in me that actually can sustain this into the future? Yeah, no, that's very helpful. I thought about what you're saying a lot before, but never in the scope of how you've said it. And it's kind of interesting because once I really decide what the answer to that question is, I think that solves a lot of the questions I have. Oh, I can't remember who said that, you know, the quote was, if you, oh, hey, God, Tony Robbins, I think, goes, if you're not sure what you want, it's extremely unlikely you're going to get it. Yeah, exactly. A lot of thinking right now, you're at a wonderful spot because now you have the option mm -hmm. of going either direction. And I would maybe not have believed that was the case before. So it's a really, really exciting time for you. And it's going to be really, really stressful but you are in a position that a lot of people who have great ideas would be very, very envious of. And uh, I'm proud of you for having uh, taken it this far. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it is exciting. You saw it back when it was like model number one, I think, <laughs> probably when it was not very pretty. Well, I'd love to say that I believed in it from the instant I saw it, but I got to confess, this is probably one of the eye roller ones that I go, that will never work. So Thank goodness that you were able to demonstrate one more time just how wrong anyone who ever says that actually is. You never expressed it to me, though. You always were very positive. <laughs> it's funny because, as you know, I do a lot of work with college entrepreneurs. And 
largely I'm trying to encourage people for just taking the swing at it. And every so often, someone actually puts the bat on the ball. That's incredibly gratifying to see that happen. Yeah. One last thing, and then we'll leave it. I'm curious. So how is it having your mom as a uh, co-founder or as a uh, employee? How do you think about it? Yeah, she is incredible. We joke around about how she's the boss at home and that I am the boss at work. <laughs> but no, we really are partners and I would definitely not be here without her at all. She greatly helped me while I was in college, just being able to constantly go back and forth to the manufacturing facility and things like that when I was not here in Indianapolis. And she's just been so great. I think while there are certain things that we can say to each other because we're family in the same sense. I know that we both have the same intention and there's never going to be any ill intention because we're the closest relationship basically that someone could have. So it's been awesome. Well, good for you. It's been really awesome. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to her. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm counting on hearing from you in a few months about which direction you chose to go and what steps you took to uh, make that happen. Yes, for sure. Let's catch back up in April and hopefully all my stress has at least simmered down a little bit by April. And hopefully I can get into my local Walmart and pick up a couple as gifts. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thanks very much and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It is great to be advising a young businesswoman who's on the precipice of bigger things. And Katie's rapid ascent is truly impressive. She's definitely asking all the right questions about funding, about managing her big new partnership, etc. What I hope she takes away from our call is this. She has to start by figuring out where she wants to end up before she works on how to scale. Is she going to ride her single product to the bitter end or Use it as a leaping off point for bigger and better things. If you don't know where you want to go, the odds are not good you're going to get there. But the good news for Katie is she's got a lot of options. Well, that's all for today. But before we go, I do want to thank Katie for entrusting her business to me for a bit. And I look forward to hearing back from her in a few months to see if my advice helped. But if you want to discuss your business challenges with me, I would love to hear from you. Just visit me at markrandolph.com or call me at 1-888-MARK-POD. That's 1-888-627-2763. Together, we'll figure out your best next steps. In the meantime, if a 30-minute podcast is too much for you, you can check out my short-form ramblings on Twitter at mbrandolph. Or see it all prettied up on Instagram at that will never work. Of course, you can check me out at LinkedIn at, well, shit, you can figure that out yourself. Thanks again for listening. If you like the podcast, don't forget to smash that like button and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. If you didn't, well, thanks for listening to How I Built This. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is the That Will Never Work podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Audiation.